Welcome to the Night Echo Podcast, a show bringing you haunting tales from all over the internet and our very own strange reality. Join me, your host, Louise Knight, as we delve into a variety of myths, urban legends, ghost stories, and true crime. Stay tuned. Have you ever been able to control your dreams? This is what we would call lucid dreaming. And while many experiences are thrilling and adventurous, of course, the opposite is always a possibility. Ever since I was young, I've always had dreams that I guess you could classify as lucid dreaming. These are often very vivid, and I'm able to remember almost all of my dreams upon waking up. The downside of being able to dream about anything you want is that sometimes you can get stuck in a nightmare, all while being aware of it. One such vivid dream I've had is where I was being chased by an unknown person with a kitchen knife. Faced with this assailant, I was left trapped in a corner, but because I was fully aware of what was going on, I told myself, "Oh man, I'm totally gonna get stabbed right now, huh? And it's going to hurt because I'm lucid dreaming, huh? It's a bit too late to wake up now, so I guess we'll just have to suck it up. Then, a sharp pain struck my side, as this person plunged his knife into me. Yes, I could feel every part of it, and yes, I knew I was dreaming. I think a more intense and recent lucid dream I had went like this. I was on a boat, when all of a sudden, it began to sink. And I started to drown. I actually have this dream a lot, I think because I'm afraid of the water a little bit. I don't know. So, of course, I wasn't too freaked out by this dream. Kind of just hung out, waiting for the next portion of the dream to come. This actually isn't the weird part. From deep within my dream, I heard, Hey, are you okay? I opened my eyes, and right away I turned to my significant other, you sounded like you were choking, he said. And that's when I realized I wasn't just drowning in my dream, but full-on stopped breathing because my brain was so convinced it was real. This made me wonder, is there a truth behind people dying in real life when they die in their dreams? Growing up, I've always heard the saying that if you die in your dreams, you die in real life. With movies like Inception, or even Nightmare on Elm Street, this definitely helped to fortify this notion. I guess we need to start off with, what is lucid dreaming, and what does it feel like? I think most of us have heard it described as being like, in a video game, being aware of the dream, and actually being able to control it. A study done in 2012 showed scans that suggested the actions done in one's dreams correlated with real-life brain activity. This meant if you lucid dreamed about throwing a punch, your brain would actually trick itself into thinking you physically just threw a punch, despite your body being asleep. Scientifically put, lucid dreaming is when your brain is in a state between REM sleep and being awake. And why do we lucid dream? 
Many instances of lucid dreaming are intentional. Often, people purposely put themselves into a lucid dream state as a way to control their dreams. I mean, who wouldn't want superpowers or to visit anywhere in the world? The possibilities are endless in this regard. This can be done in many ways, such as repeating a phrase to yourself over and over again before going to bed. This could be something like, I will lucid dream tonight. You could set an alarm every so often to keep you awake at different intervals. Some people leave the light on as a visual awareness to keep them a little bit awake. I myself used to fall asleep to YouTube videos made to induce lucid dreaming. This is also something that was actually super easy for me. Lucid dreaming, more often than not, has actually helped me solve real-life problems. And for anyone who has lucid dreamed and can't stop lucid dreaming, I think you can agree that our quality of sleep is zero to none. I mean, you can't be sleeping if you're too busy living a second life asleep. And this brings us to today's question. Can we die from dying in our dreams? Most people that dream about dying wake up from the dream and move on with their lives, physically unharmed. But what happens if the dream is so real you end up truly dying? Is it possible? Well, it turns out dying in real life by dying in a dream is very rare. Though there have been cases of healthy people dying unexpectedly in their sleep, otherwise known as being scared to death. These types of deaths were more likely to affect patients who had prior underlying heart issues. These patients would have an increase in heart rates and the individuals would likely suffer a heart attack during REM sleep, never to wake up again. Long story short, it's very rare and very unlikely. But yeah, under the right circumstances, it could totally happen. And although it's very unlikely that a dream will kill us in real life, that doesn't mean dreams and death have not met. Many people are probably familiar with sleep paralysis. It's often described as the feeling of being aware of your surroundings, but being unable to move your body. Many times, these episodes are accompanied by unpleasant hallucinations. The most common sighting and feeling is that of a creature sitting on one's chest. It's been reported that the affected person can feel the pressure but are physically paralyzed. Even scarier are reports of shadow figures walking around the room and hearing whispers. Again, all while being physically incapable of moving. And although sleep paralysis can be a horrifying experience, it is much like lucid dreaming where the chances of you dying are very low. A further look into sleep disorders brought me to the term parasomnia, in which sleep paralysis is actually mentioned. Parasomnia is a broad term for many types of sleep disorders that can occur while falling asleep, sleeping, as well as waking up. These range from sleep talking to sleep apnea to many more. The six most common parasomnias that you may have heard of are sleepwalking, REM sleep behavior disorder, nightmares, night terrors, which, unlike nightmares, occur during deep non-REM sleep. 
those affected often have no recollection of what made them wake up in a scared and anxious state. Nocturnal sleep-related eating disorder. Basically, sleep eating. And my least favorite, teeth grinding. And you might be asking yourself, okay, but have those things caused death? It just sounds like someone is going to sleep and waking up on the wrong side of the bed. Let's get to it. This brings us to our first case. The story of a well-known designer from Vancouver, BC, Canada, Tobias Wong. Tobias was a successful designer that moved to Manhattan to further his art studies. Unfortunately, Tobias would later be found dead, having hung himself in the apartment he shared with his partner. The incident was deemed a suicide. However, those closest to Tobias insisted otherwise. An article was written in 2010 by the New York Times noting his chronic sleepwalking as well as night terrors. These night terrors would leave him confused and unaware of what was real or not. At times, he would do regretful actions, such as destroying art. It was reported that he would often come out of these episodes ashamed and heartbroken, and trying everything and anything to make it stop. Tobias was not found to have any mental illness, but did have instances of chronic sleepwalking. Friends and family believe he may have killed himself during one of these episodes. This is a term known as parasomnia pseudo-suicide, a sleep disorder where people dream about killing themselves and follow through with it in real life without being conscious. Um, I actually have read more than one account of this, and it's very scary. Our next case is about Kenneth James Parks, a 24-year-old man from Toronto, Canada. It was early the day of May 24th, 1987. When Parks left his home to travel to his in-laws, Barbara and Donald Woods. Leaving the garage door open, he began a 23-kilometer or 14-mile drive to them, all while being totally asleep. Upon arrival at their home, Parks took out a key for their home he was previously given. Entering, he picked up a tire iron from the garage and proceeded upstairs. He came across Donald Woods and attempted to strangle him to death, but he managed to escape. Parks then turned his attention to Barbara Woods, whom he had a close relationship with. Being six foot five at 280 pounds, Barbara would affectionately refer to him as her gentle giant. In his unconscious state, he began to beat her with the tire iron and stabbed her up to six times through the heart with a kitchen knife. Unfortunately, Mrs. Woods would not survive her injuries. It turns out the daughters of the Woods were also at home during the attacks. They reported hearing Parks outside of their door, breathing and heavily grunting intermittently. And for whatever reason, he never attempted to enter their rooms leaving shortly thereafter. Around 5.45 a.m., Parks drove himself to the police station, stating he believed he just killed two people, but wasn't totally sure what had happened. 
Police noted all 10 flexor tendons in his hands had been cut, presumably from the kitchen knife on the attack of Mrs. Woods. The odd part, however, was he displayed no signs of pain nor awareness of the injuries that he had sustained. This information was used in his trial to support his case. Other evidence that helped his case was a history of chronic sleepwalking. It was reported by his own mother that she had once caught him at the age of 11 sleepwalking. He was about to jump out of their six-story apartment. A further look into his family showed varying degrees of his lineage also displaying different forms of parasomnias. He checked off three key factors of people who are prone to sleepwalking. One, being sleep deprived for more than 48 hours. Two, major physical stress. He was said to have played an intense game of rugby in hot weather and being physically unfit. Remember, he was six foot five, 280 pounds. Three, emotional stress. He was let go from his job and had a gambling problem. This would lead him into a heavy debt. Having been so bad, it led to affecting his marriage. It came out that Parks was actually planning a picnic with his in-laws the following day. It was believed that this was in his mind, which led him to drive to them that very morning. Professionals were uncertain where his violent tendencies came from, as he was known to be very kind. He loved the couple very much and had no motive to attack them. It was agreed that the tragedy was an unfortunate mix of stress and bad circumstance. Parks was later acquitted of all charges against him in what is known as the sleepwalking defense. A case known as R.V. Stone had a similar claim of the sleepwalking defense, also in Canada. Bert Stone was found guilty of killing his wife, Donna Stone. The two had just finished an intense argument, stemming from a comment Bert had made about divorcing her. This made Donna fly off the handle as she said every and any demeaning thing she could think of, from complaining about their sex life to their kids not even being his. This clearly counts as emotional stress, right? Similar to the R. V. Parks case? Well, yes and no. He goes on to describe that while Donna is berating him, a whooshing feeling came over him, then total darkness. The next thing he knows, he's back in his truck in the parking lot with Donna. Only now, Donna is slumped over, blood everywhere, knife in Bert's hand. I'd like to note that this case happened a few years after the one about Kenneth Parks, with the hearing for this particular case happening in 1998. I'm thinking perhaps Bert heard about the sleepwalking defense and thought, hey, back at work. Well, the only thing is for the sleepwalking defense to work, the person would first have to be asleep. Clearly, Bert was awake as he was arguing with Donna. Did he fall asleep out of nowhere halfway through their argument? I mean, this was very unlikely. Not to mention what he did after he woke up. He directly went to dispose of her body, 
he packed his bags and left for Mexico to hide. While in Mexico, Bert later claimed to be overpowered by visions of him striking Donna. These visions were so vivid it tugged on his conscience, thus influencing his return to Canada and surrendering to authorities. Anyone reading this case will quickly see that this man is clearly pulling this out of nowhere and grasping at straws. This case ultimately ended in a manslaughter verdict for Bert Stone. Did anyone else notice that the cases I'll mention today were about Canadians? I mean, I didn't specifically look into cases talking about Canadians or just Canada in general. So it's very interesting coincidence, I think. I wonder if there's some correlation with people in Canada and not getting enough sleep. I mean, it must be all the Tim Hortons coffee, right? With that being said, have you ever had a lucid nightmare before? How about sleep paralysis? I think the worst part is being aware of what's going on, but not being able to escape it, uncomfortably waiting for the mind to snap out of it. I'd like to thank you for joining me on this episode. If you like what you heard, it would really mean a lot if you could rate, comment, and share. This show is available on Spotify or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Have a story or suggestion you'd like to share? Send me an email at night.echopodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at night.echopodcast. Tune in every other Thursday for a new episode of the Night Echo podcast.